Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm giving you all there is to know about the back-to-back set for both the OKC Thunder and OKC Blue. Already wrapped up game one, but they cap it all off tonight. So I'm giving you a recap, a preview, what to look out for, and why the OKC Blues game tonight is probably their biggest game of the entire regular season. So just going right into it here, I actually want to start with Josh Hall, and it's a bit of a curveball. Honestly, I think I may have briefly talked about this in my last episode, but just to make sure if I didn't, Josh Hall, he got called back up. So he is with the OKC Thunder. He was with them, and he was available for their past game against the Dallas Mavericks. Didn't end up suiting up, did not play. But I just think it's interesting that they kind of gave him a call-up because he only played one game, wasn't that impressive. Whatever, he found himself up anyways, and maybe he was like injured and he's off that injury list. They want to see him play right now before everyone else comes in. And you have to imagine there's going to be a flurry of changes kind of filtering in and out of this roster right now. So he may actually end up having rotational minutes when we get to the second half of the season. I don't know if he's going to be playing tonight against the uh, San Antonio Spurs, but I just think it's interesting that they call him up. Either he's still injured and they just determined that it's probably best if he just goes off to OKC early, gets his all-star break in, as opposed to just waiting in Orlando while you know their regular season finishes on Sunday. I believe there's a couple games on Monday, and then you have the playoffs if they qualify. So it'd be a lot more tedious of a process, and just pull them out now, and you can just suit up for some NBA actions. Maybe that's what they were going for. I just thought that was a little bit interesting. Anyways, going into the Thunder game that we saw on Wednesday, taking on the Dallas Mavericks, this was probably one of the lowest scoring games I've watched in a while. Final score, 87-78 to 78 in favor of the Dallas Mavericks. And this was something that was kind of brought up with the announcing crew. You know, they're thinking, you know, only a couple more games left until All-Star Weekend. Maybe you just kind of put your foot off the gas a little bit. I don't know. You can, Maybe you could say that, but come on. 78 points in 2021. I don't know. I don't know if that's an entire league low for this year. But the last time the Thunder scored that low, that was back in 2014 against the Milwaukee Bucks. I stole that from a Joe Muzzato tweet, by the way. So don't go hunting me down. Anyways, I mean, took him, took him that long. You know, that's how far it dates back. And clearly, that's going to be your season low here. They had an 80-point game a little bit earlier in the season. But yeah, this was by far their worst performance you know we have seen very very slow and it wasn't just them this wasn't a complete blowout Mavericks were not amazing either however they did have some stretches that kind of elevated them and kind of saved them out so with the loss OKC they're 14 and 21 they are tied right now with the Sacramento Kings for the 12th and 13th seeds as a fan who wants tanking I'm not saying that I'm a, I'm a on board for this tanking thing but for someone who wants them to get a higher lottery odds, that's not a bad thing that they're dropping down in the standings. You got one more game dropped down to the 13th seed by all-star time. But then, you know, you can still get the win and probably move over the Kings anyway. So they're still there. 
And then for the Dallas Mavericks, that was their final game of their first half of games. And right now, they're sitting at 18 and 16, so right above that 500 mark. And even with that being said, they're still only the 8th seed. And the Golden State Warriors are right below them with a pretty similar stat line. I think they're 19 and 17. However, I think they might have might have lost like a tiebreaker or something so that's why they're a little bit down anyways dallas mavericks they're clinging on to that eight seed for dear life and they're way above the 500 mark not way but you know they have a little bit of cushion here they can take two games and you're still sitting above that horizon line so you know maybe they're all geared up didn't have Doncic to play because he was tending towards back soreness Maybe they just want to rest him up for the All-Star game because he's going to have a huge role on there being a starter. Definitely deserves it. But yeah, just don't want to have any silly injuries going the way. So just get his rest in. He gets this day a rest, and then Sunday he goes back into playing and then another mini break for him. So there you go. For the Thunder, I mean, they didn't have Diallo, George Hill. You already know with George Hill, he's going to be gone for probably a long, long time, and then Hamadou Diallo, he's just gone for this one in the next game. So, in the game, I mean, Dallas, they kind of started out pretty smoothly without him. They had Jalen Brunson filling in, one of the better backups in the league. So, they got up to a 13-7 lead. And then Darius Baisley, he actually rounded off five straight points, and he could have got it to seven. He got to the line, clanked both free throws. But regardless, they got on an 8-0 run because of that. So, they were in the kind of the driver's seat here, and then they kind of just started moving back and forth. By the end of one, Mavericks were up just 25 to 23. Kind of just continued that. Second quarter, same slugfest. Mavericks up 49 to 42. And, you know, the reason you have such a low scoring game from both teams, they just couldn't make anything from downtown. So in the first half, OKC, they were one of 10 on threes in Dallas. They didn't hit one. It was 0-7, so they were right down low pretty much the entire time trying to get the refs to put some air in their whistles. And going into, you know, the second half, that was still kind of the motive here, and it really was still that penetration contest that I'm talking about. The first real momentum shifter in what got the Mavericks the game was their mid-quarter play in this third. So they ended up hitting a stretch of threes they were getting inside getting these stops they go on a 7-0 run and they get a double digit lead in this game and they kept going nothing was working for the thunder they built up this run to 18 to 4 say goodbye unless you have a crazy amount of offense you know in the final 15 minutes or so you're absolutely done with so they kept it up they were up pretty pretty huge here we're talking 22 points but then the Thunder, they were able to get a 7-2 run to end it. But Mavericks, regardless, they were still up 75-61 to heading into the fourth quarter. And whenever you're only dropping 61 points in the first three, you're pretty much doomed unless you get a real star performance out of somebody. They didn't really find it here. They were able, in the end of this thing, to make it close and narrow it down to single digits. But... I mean, they had to play near perfect to do it. And Dallas, it wasn't like they just gave away 13 points to let them down to nine again. 
I mean, it was just kind of back and forth stuff, and they kept shipping it down. So it wasn't like OKC was just running the tables here. They had to fight for it. You know, I think they should be commended for at least cutting it down to nine. But yeah, it just was not enough. One quarter's not going to do it for you. You got to win all four of those things or just end up with the most by the end of the game. And they did not do that. And it's pretty crazy kind of how this game worked out because neither side posted quality numbers whatsoever. Field goal percentages for both teams in the 30%. Shooting from downtown, low 20%. And I think the decisive factor here, whenever you have to take those away, it comes at the line. Dallas won that. And OKC, they get to the line, but they just have not been making their free throws as of late. They shot 11 of 17, which that doesn't sound bad, but that's 64.7%. You don't want to be there. Dallas shot 15 of 19 79% roughly. So that's kind of where you start looking towards maybe how they got to these uh these critical parts of the game and how they won. And it it really was, you know, whenever they started getting that three. If it wasn't for their third quarter, Thunder probably would have ended up winning, but you know, you can't really just blame it on that right there. It comes down to all 48 minutes. Anyways, Porzingis kind of led the charge with Luca gone. Porzingis is amazing when he's healthy. Clearly, he doesn't really play 82 games for you. He always has some sort of injury going on. He had 19 points. Tim Hardaway Jr. off the bench also had 19 for them. And they even had more productions from some of these wings. Josh Richardson, 16 points. He already had double digits, I believe, by halftime. Jalen Brunson did not. He had 11 points, but he was helping to distribute the ball around. And so was Trey Burke. He comes in. Really, he's never playing when Doncic is available. Since he's gone, he takes Brunson's minutes, and he puts up 9 points and 6 assists. So, he really is that kind of Jordan Clarkson guy that I was mentioning in the last podcast. Now, clearly, completely different here because Clarkson's not looking to pass. He's looking to shoot all the time. Burke does that, but he can lean on the playmaking skills. So, you don't want to kind of just take him too light because that's why he'll give you production like that really in a matter of no time. Anyways, for the Thunder though, clearly not too impressive. I think Mark Dagnall kind of said that this was not a great offensive game for either team. And yeah, that's 100% true. Like the leading scorer for the Oklahoma City Thunder only had 15 points and that was an SGA. He had 15 here, but he shot five of 15 from the field. Teams are really trying to swarm SGA and he shot one of five from distance they kind of want to test SGA from three they don't want the drive-ins because they know that's going to be easy passing lanes just keep kicking it out so you have a wide open man at the perimeter whoever you want you know they'll pass around to get where get where they would like to on the floor but if you if you cut that off you just pressure him immediately give him that three let him do his little signature like snatch back do whatever get that shot off not fawn it's going to be a tough night for Shea Gilgis-Alexander when defenses are kind of employing so much of their energy onto him. And whenever other people just can't make it, you know, it hurts a ton. One person who continued to make shots was Ty Jerome. He's been Mr. Consistent through the first three games. Five of seven in this game. He ends up with 13 points, three rebounds, and two assists. He's just so fluid when he plays. You can put him anywhere you want. And that's what's so great. All these players 
They can be molded really anywhere into rotations. And I kind of underlooked like Jerome's ability to be versatile because I always kind of just latched on to, you know, he's a fairly slow guy, but he has the skill set necessary. Like Maladone, he's much faster than Ty Jerome. He's not a very fast point guard relatively though. He gets it done in the pick and roll and you have to make it up in the pick and roll. Ty Jerome's good, but I didn't know he's this good. So he's good in the pick and roll. But the thing that has made him so just elite and difficult to handle is the three-point shot. Teams, they'll guard up on him when he's like right outside the perimeter. But the shots that he's been taking, and this is this is from, you know, his days back in Orlando too. He's shooting way downtown, like limitless three-pointers. No one really is going to guard that because it's Ty Jerome. He just got back from playing in Orlando. And with the Phoenix Suns, he wasn't even a 30% three-point shooter. That was a fluke season for him because he's making these shots at a high clip, left wing, top of the key, does it wherever he wants. He hasn't even made a corner three yet. And as you saw from some of his blue games, the corner three could have been his bread and butter in some of those situations. Like he's made double team threes right off of inbound passes, just knocking down two, three of them in one sitting. So you haven't even seen the full potential of him from downtown, but going inside is really where He's kind of scratched the surface, but he's not all the way there yet. I think he's really been used more off the ball, like a catch-and-shoot player. You know, he'll stop, pop, if you would like him to. I know Darius Baisley had an amazing stop-and-pop play, like I'm mentioning here with Jerome. But, yeah, he's, he's not really as quick, so he makes it up in other aspects. And that's why I kind of love Ty Jerome here. Darius Baisley, he got a double-double with 11 points, 10 rebounds. Already said he got five of them in a matter of like a minute. And one of those was that pull-up three that I was mentioning. 3 of 11 on this game. And, you know, it's kind of hard to blame him. Like, everyone just had that. Everyone was cold, you know. And I think he was 2 of 6 from 3. So it's good to know at least he was shooting quality from outside. And 33%, that's good for Darius Baisley. Driving in is kind of where it's like, what? How are you not shooting that well? He was taking on a mixture of Maxi Kleber as well as Kristaps Porzingis in this game. But yeah, he just could not get around either of them, really. He was trying to drive in, but not getting much. I do think that his activity around the basket needs to be mentioned, though, because he leads the team in rebounds yet again in this game. Horford wasn't able to go out there. You know, partially it's due to Porzingis being his matchup, but, you know, you still need to, you know, give Darius Baisley some credit here. He's turning into a pretty good rebounder for a size that really is not on par with the rest of the league at that power forward position. He's a skinny player. The speed helps out, but when it comes to like boxing out, that's kind of just a wrestling match. That's some brute force. Whoever's stronger gets the rebound. You just forcefully grab it. Basically, he's really elusive, so he's able to kind of swim right around guys to try to collect the rebound, and even boxing out, he's able to hold his own. He did it that exactly in Wednesday's game so you know good for him made up for his pretty poor shooting efforts Teo Maladone he wasn't too great from three he also was one of five from distance I believe SGA was as well as I said but yeah so he wasn't hitting it he worked on the penetrations though so pick and roll master number one you got Maladone and then you got Jerome on this side as well so Maladone just working around he knows his spots on the floor. There's a reason why he's on the Rising Stars team. It's because you see stuff 
just like this. So he shot four of five off of twos, and he also was getting three rebounds, so he was getting down low to get some extra possessions and just get the ball down court. So good on him. Al Horford, double digits, just 10 points. It was on five of 12 shooting. Had four boards, and the big thing, two blocks from him. He's always having those two, three block games as well as the two, three steal games. Gets one of the block ones in this matchup. And, you know, for him, his game can really just be decided on how he's playing from three. And it sucks it's kind of broken down like that because he has had times where he's just killing it in the post and he doesn't need to rely on the threes. But the current state of things, it seems like his three ball is like pivotal to the success of the squad. And he wasn't able to make any shots from downtown. So he was off on all three tries. It kind of just sets the tone here. If you're not guarding Horford seriously and he's not making you pay for it, well, now what? You're screwed because SGA can get double teamed and the defense is going to be okay with that. So that's what the Mavericks were cool doing. And as I said, it worked for SGA, works with Horford. You know, that's just exactly what was drawn up here. And Justin Jackson, I know clearly he's not as big of a player here, but this was his revenge game against the Mavericks. They gave him away as a freebie over this offseason. He's going into his final year. He wants to make some noise, say, you should have picked me up. You should regret this. I don't think they're regretting it at all. 0-4 on this game. Wasn't able to make shots. He was working on the floaters, just getting some really strong bounces. And the way he shoots his runners, you would think there's some sort of touch to it, and sometimes there is. But this guy can put a fastball on that thing, so it just shanks right off the rim, bounces two, three times in the cylinder, and just pops right back out. That's what happened with him, and from three, been a bit down for him, keeps that streak going. Maybe he can build himself up against the San Antonio Spurs. Main thing from this one, though, the 20 assist game streak is over. It's gone, you know. Seemed like they were just getting it every single game. Like, why is it a big deal that they're always getting 20 assists? Isn't that kind of normal for NBA squads? It is, but, you know, not for this game. This was not a very typical game in the slightest. So they only had 13 assists. They were not even close relatively to this thing. So they got to work themselves back up against the Spurs, create another streak there, as well as just another winning streak because now you're down in the pits. Get back up. They're going to be playing the San Antonio Spurs at 8 p.m. OKC, 14 and 21. San Antonio, they are 18 and 13, doing pretty well for themselves. They did not have players such as Keldon Johnson and DeMar DeRozan in the rotation for prior games. They should be active in this one, so it'll be much different than the one we saw from them not too long ago. Moving right along to the OKC Blue game, though. This was their first game out of the three brutal ones. So just get the first one out of the way. You just need one win here and you clinch a playoff spot going up against the Raptors 905. Did not get it done. This was their biggest loss of the season. They have not been really blown out at all. All the games that they've lost have been down to the wire stuff. The Ignite game was close. The Swarm game was close. The Caliente Clippers games, that was close too. So all these games that they've dropped, really just been single digits. Like up until the final minute, you don't know what's going on. This one, pretty obvious entering like the second half and really after the third quarter that this game was kind of just done for. So 
So the Raptors 905, they just jumped right out the gate with a 36 to 18 lead in the first quarter. Typically, it's the other way around whenever, you know, Moses Brown and Yurt 7 just dominates. Both of them played in this game, by the way. So it wasn't like they were down any huge pieces. End up being down quick. Second half, can't really redeem themselves in the lead. Third quarter got this game just away. Raptors 905 went on an 18-4 run. They were up as much as 36 points in the game. And once you get up that much and it's the third quarter, you might start, you know, packing your bags already and getting getting up for the next one, you know? So they put up a good fight to close it. They actually outscored the Raptors 33 to 26 in quarter number four, but it just was too little, too late for them. So they drop it here losing by a total of 22 points and it's another kind of oddity game for the blue same as it was for the Oklahoma City Thunder they didn't have the typical play as usual and this Raptors team who kind of didn't look like on paper they would deal this much damage just they just dominated the game and it started with the centers because they actually outperformed Oklahoma City's this is probably the first time and the whole entire season, you can say that adamantly, and no one in the room is ever going to judge you for it, because they had their main guys here in the centers and the power forward spots. So Elise Johnson, he's kind of undersized, but they have him playing up right now. He had 19 points and 19 rebounds, and you got Henry Ellenson, the journeyman who started with the Detroit Pistons, bounced around. Look at him now. He's with the Raptors, and he is really underrated stretch big I mentioned it in the preview like this is someone that is kind of just a one-off guy he's a really unique guy for the NBA G League I guess you could say that with someone like Moses Brown too but there's not a lot of stretch bigs with Ellenson's size and kind of skill around the basket typically you got these guys who can shoot from deep and they're pretty tall but they're also really really lanky Ellenson's not like that so he gets in there he's able to kind of body up with people and defensively, you know, his matchup for the blue just can't keep up. So he ends up scoring 21 points on 7 of 15 shooting. But he pretty much is doing it all from downtown. 5 of 11 on triples. And what did the Raptors want to do? They wanted to press the issue of threes onto the blue. So they had their kind of shooting contest going on. Ellenson was providing. Let's see who can provide for the Oklahoma City Blue, shall we? Double down low. Don't let Moses Brown or your seven do a single thing. Cut off those penetrations. Give them the corner threes. Let's do it. Blue, they were taking the challenge at first, but eventually it just got to the point where, you know, they kind of knew that they were not dropping. Most of the main shooters on their squad, and I'm talking the Edwards guys, I'm talking Rob Edwards and Vincent Edwards, they've really emerged as the best shooters on this team. They were cold turkey from outside. So Rob Edwards shoots one of six. He's coming off the bench again now, which makes it even more surprising because that's where he did so well. And Vincent Edwards off the bench, he's one of five. So that's two of 11 combined. And when you look at the team as a whole, six of 29, that's 20.7%. You cannot do that, especially when the pace is being played at such a high level that, you know, you're giving up free fast break points and free drives, threes, whatever. And on the other side, you just simply cannot respond here. So they had to look towards their old reliable and just force it really because everyone was just right around them. And they won 
the points in the paint battle, but it was 58 to 54. And, you know, that's not a number to be ashamed of. But when you look at how everything else was going, like from three, it looks a little bit worse. So they didn't have that real number one option because of this. They didn't have a three point score and everyone was swarmed down low that, you know, finding a basket in there kind of just came off of playing the game of hot potato until you find somebody. And I think the main guys like Moses Brown, I mean, he didn't play in the last game. So he's been off for four days. He jumps right back into action and he's just not able to give the same numbers. He puts up a season low eight points on three of nine shooting, complementing nine rebounds. And as said, like on paper, this is a 20 plus point outing for Moses Brown, six foot seven. That's how tall Lee's Johnson is. Moses Brown, seven foot two. Johnson swarmed him. Everyone swarmed him. Hurt a ton. Now you look down to your bench stud in Omer Yurt seven. And I think maybe this is something that might like in quiet chatters be talked about. Like, should we have just pulled Yurt seven from the bench? Because he was playing better than Moses Brown, even before Brown took that rest day. Like Yurt seven was averaging 25 plus points, nine plus rebounds a game and two blocks in the last three ones. So gets relegated down to the bench squad and he, He's all right. He shoots three of five, gets to the line twice, gets 10 points and seven rebounds, only having to play 19 minutes, but you don't have enough run on the floor and the attention's not just there for you. So he can't chip in that double-double that we're used to seeing, even when he's playing off of the bench. So now you go to the shooters, Antonius Cleveland. He didn't really want to shoot the basketball. He wanted to continue to drive four of 11 on the game. He gets 11 points, but you need to see his other side again, truthfully, if you want to see more success here. Because as soon as you saw Cleveland flip the switch, it's kind of when you saw these games getting a little bit closer and closer. I think Cleveland being used as a shooter really gave that extra push. Same came when Rob Edwards was lighting it up from downtown because there are just too many people at the perimeter. And then you can focus inside. So everyone's kind of turning into this inside-oriented you know, piece. And you can't really have all that many of them if you're going to run, you know, like five out offense. It's just simply a bad system there. And Rob Edwards, you know, he was hoisting up a lot of jumpers and he shot four of 12 for them. Had to go in a little bit and into the mid range as well, too, for some of his shots. So he's probably not too impressed with himself. Xavier Simpson, he didn't get double digits, but that's okay. I think he probably had the best performance all around here eight points seven rebounds and six assists in 27 minutes his shooting slump continues he was not making any threes like he was airballing them in the prior games o of two on wednesday and it's cool because penetration and passing for him is really where he finds most of his success so going down low worked out and hitting up the open man clearly is what gave him that kind of boosted stat line here. You saw Z Simpson kind of drop down in these statistics. He was like at the three to four assist range for a while now. Propping it back up. Hopefully he can continue to be so good at passing the basketball around. And something that's crazy is you see how the leading score only had 12. But every single player on this unit had five or more points. So that's a little bit wild to hear about. 
And Alexei Pokachevsky, I wasn't really talking too much about him. He was relatively quiet in this game. He did have a pretty sweet standing dunk, though. So that's your highlight of the game you get from Alexei Pokachevsky. OKC Blue, they're 8-6 right now. They have to play against the Erie Bayhawks. That's going to be happening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Erie, 10 and 3. They have pretty, pretty nice roster. So going toe-to-toe -to -toe against them. Hopefully they can get that win. It's going to mean a lot if they can close the door and just get their ticket right now. And this is the one they need to do it in. And I'll explain why in a little bit. But I want to go back to the Oklahoma City Thunder in their upcoming game tonight against the Spurs, as said, at 8 p.m. They are going to have, for the most part, their entire team still with them outside of uh, Diallo. But the Spurs, they have Derek White out. They have Rudy Gay out. Vassell's still out. And LaMarcus Aldridge is listed as day-to-day. -day. So they're still hurting, but they're just kind of swapping out the pieces who are injured. DeMar DeRozan's good. And so is Keldon Johnson. And Keldon Johnson has been gone for a while. But whenever he was playing against the Oklahoma City Thunder back in January, he was their number one option. And him driving to the basket was pretty much unguardable. So you need to shut him down. He could be that number one man. DeJounte Murray too. He's kind of just broken out offensively. I know he's always been kind of in that range where he can get you 20 points. But you just need to limit that. And Patty Mills. He's always kind of a thorn in every team's back. He's kind of that J.J. Barea, except, you know, Barea, I, you know, I don't even know how he does it half the time. Like, he was so speedy, able to get wherever, and he was passing it around like it was nothing. I think Mills is more of like that shooter first kind of guy. He's good at penetrating, but he can get those threes, and, you know, he's a double-digit threat literally every single game you play against him. So you need to lock that up. If LaMarcus Aldridge is gone, you're looking at Jakob Pertle again, Lucas Samanich. That's fine. I think Al Horford, if playing, if playing, he is not listed on an injury report right now because they don't get that out till around 12.30 p.m. If he's on that list, you're looking at a Roby situation again or a Mike Muscala situation. I'd be pretty intrigued to see how Roby does against Pertle because that's what he did in the preseason and he lit them up. Same with Maladon against the Spurs. He has a sweet spot against them. And I think for everyone, this is probably a game you can take advantage of. I mean, final game, kind of set everything out strong. Get that momentum building for later on because they play in seven days after this. So just cap it off nicely. That's kind of what you are looking for here. Shea Gotis Alexander, he is going to need to get himself hot. He has been the center of attention for defenses all the time. But with the three not falling, it's going to hurt him a bit. So he needs to be able to hit, and it's against one of the better defenders in DeJounte Murray. So I like that test. Lou Dort, I want to see kind of how he is playing on Lonnie Walker Jr. or Keldon Johnson. There's a variety there. And Darius Baisley versus Keldon Johnson will be sweet because I think Keldon Johnson and Darius Baisley are very, very comparable players. Able to play at the four very good when it comes to ball handling. Slashing-wise, they are way quicker than every other typical power forward you see walking in the room. And they can shoot a little bit too, as well as get those blocks up. So that's the matchup I will probably enjoy the most in this game. But how about Ty Jerome? I want to see how he does in the bench. Can he continue to make another strong showing in the fourth game of his Thunder career? So 
That'll be cool to watch. Make sure to tune in. And for the Oklahoma City Blue, stakes have never been higher. I guess the stakes might be the same, at least on the terms of you need a win. But against the Bayhawks, it's going to be a little bit rough. Luckily, the Bayhawks are coming off a loss, and it's actually a worse loss than what we saw from the Oklahoma City Blue in their game because they lost by 30 points, just absolutely dominated by the Santa Cruz Warriors. They are the number one seed right now. They also are 10-3, and three, but they have that tiebreaker. This is when you get them. You get them while they kind of have their feet still wobbling around because their ma next matchup is against the Warriors, hottest team around right now. They're not going to be phased by anything. So you're going up against a full HUD esteem unit with the Warriors. And the Bayhawks, I think, you know, as I said, with their previous game against the Raptors, like they don't want to bench anyone. They don't want to see the OKC Blue in the playoffs. So they're going to go right at them. I think this is the game that probably will be the easier of the two. They still have some great players, though. They have Wenyan Gabriel who is a pretty nice power forward to center, six foot nine, averaging 19 points, nine rebounds a game. Also have Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell had that experience with the um, Golden State Warriors. Then he was kind of just ping-ponging around squads. Now he's in the G League, but he's still doing great. I mean, he's almost averaging a double-double with 17.6 points and 9.3 rebounds. So this is kind of like the Raptors in a sense that they have some established people at the four and five positions. However, Ellenson can stretch the court. I'm not banking on Gabriel or Jordan Bell being able to hit from very deep ranges. Have some good guard play to kind of help complement that lack of shooting though. And it starts with Justin Wright Foreman. I thought he would be a steal coming out of Hofstra. He really has not broken out or anything, but he's playing good here. He's averaging 12.8 points, 2.2 rebounds, and 2.2 assists. Really just a shot creator. I'd probably compare him kind of in the likes of Rob Edwards, except, you know, I think Edwards definitely is a better three-point guy than him. I, I'd probably say Justin Wright Foreman's more of that penetrator mid-range, less of a three-person, but he can still get it done for you. Same goes with Jalen Adams as well. 15-point scorer, putting up 5.2 rebounds and four assists for them. Very surprising he's doing that too, especially the rebounds. He's 6'2". 195 pounds so you're looking at him as the potential starting point guard going up against Xavier Simpson another pretty small guy and shooting wise you don't want to sleep on him 34% from distance you can't let three start flying in from anywhere and you got Cassius Winston kind of rounding out that elite unit we drafted this man but we traded him for the rights of Vit Kregi He's just chilling. I know he was in Mexico City not too long ago. I think he may be in Oklahoma City again. Not 100% sure. But Winston for them, he's putting up 12.8 points, 3 rebounds, and 5.4 assists. You saw him with Michigan State. He is a passer who also can get the shots up from really any level. So a lot of those guys that are just very diverse, you don't really see that from the teams from the past. Now, the first half of the schedule was very easy. Now you get into more of these stacked lineups where I'd say competition's a little bit more evened out. But I say that, and the Blue don't even have their playoff spot. So maybe it's not that evened out anyways. It's going to be a total jousting match. And even off the bench, they have a great supporting one-two punch, I'd say, in Omari Spellman and Yoli Childs. Childs was great with BYU. And, you know, Spellman, he's had NBA time before. So 
nothing's going to be easy for Brown and Omer Yurt 7. I think, though, you know, they don't have any seven footers on the roster. Maybe if they're not all in on stopping the paint, you can get Brown active on the glass. You can get Brown on those easy hook shots. And Omer Yurt 7, too. He's great down low, but he can also stretch it out. If Omer Yurt 7 gets the three going and you can kind of provide room for some of the guards, such as Ryan Woolridge, to attack, I'd say that's probably your sweetest bet here. But you need to get that three established. I want Antonius Cleveland shooting the basketball. I want Rob Edwards shooting the basketball. I want Vince Edwards. I want everyone shooting the basketball, honestly. Pokachevsky, I don't know. I mean, he's going to have either one of those up and down games. He needs to come up huge, though. When you play him, you kind of know going into this, it's kind of a boomer bust thing. And when he is booming, you're winning this basketball game by 30 points. And you're, you know, at the snack bar, you're getting your popcorn when it comes time for the fourth quarter. But when he's not in a good game, he's having that slump, that's when you kind of get into dangerous territory here. So make sure that he's able to perform well. If he gets a little bit on a down game, I wouldn't, I don't know if he'd take offense to this, but if there's more consistent people, you need to play them. This is a must win game. And, you know, if you hurt a couple feelings along the way, I know that that's rough. But if you need to bench someone, a usual starter, do it. You need to get a win here. Because, you know, the fate is in their own hands. They need to win one of these next two, and they're good to go. They can make it technically if they lose out, but it's going to be a much more, like, tedious process. I don't know why they'd even be thinking of that right now. They shouldn't even have that in the back of their minds. They need to be thinking, win one of these games. The alternative of them making it really has to do with the G League Ignite winning today. They play at 3 p.m., against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. We own the tiebreaker against Rio Grande. So if they end up losing, they're pretty much out and we have that advantage of them. If Rio Grande wins though, you know, they could have a better record than us. And with the G League Ignite, they can still tie and then take us over because they won the game earlier in the season. Only real scenario where I don't have a straight up answer it comes with the Westchester Knicks because if they went out and we lose out, we'd have matching records. However, that is one of two teams we have not played yet this season, so it'd be a bit of a toss-up. Anyways, they need to win this game, and whether it's against the Santa Cruz Warriors or these guys, just win, and quite frankly, just win out because there's so many people kind of in this bottom level. You don't want to be playing a top three seed. You, you want to be honestly I think the sweet spot is the four spot because you know you have just way too many guys up top the Bayhawks are great the Raptors are great and so are the Warriors kind of get in the middle how about play the Delaware Bluecoats that's like the dream situation but you don't want to go stargazing when you haven't even gotten out the telescope I don't even know if that's a good enough analogy but yeah they're not even there yet so win that's all you got to do so, simple as that. I'll make sure to recap both of these games for you guys. And, you know, blue season continues to kind of truck along. Thunder season, it's going to go on standstill for another week because of this all-star break. So, I'm going to keep you guys up on these latest stories. Maybe I'll do another one of these kind of deals where I ask you all for questions. I know that was kind of fun to do. Maybe you guys would enjoy that. You already know. If you want to hit me up, you just got to click my name in the episode description it will take you to my twitter you can chat with me there 
But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.